excited about this Sunday with Brother Marcelli being here. He's been here uh, with us through the years many times. But Brother Marcelli called me and he said, uh, Donovan, I've got a, a, a word. I have a message for LifePoint. <clears throat> when can I come speak it? And I know this man well enough to know if he says he's got something to say, he's got something to say. So we tried to book him in February, and uh, we, we could, he couldn't come at that time. And so we have him on this Sunday, and I'm very excited about it. You don't want to miss it. There will be a prophetic word that goes out. And it's different than just like a little, just a little word, a little, uh, just a little, I don't know how to put it, but just like a little word just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. When God is speaking prophetically, you got to plug in, you got to listen to it, you got to say yes, and you need to respond immediately. It's very powerful. It can be a destiny change in somebody's life and uh, change everything about you, come to define everything about you in a different way than before. And so I'm excited about Brother Marcelli being here. So let's come with great expectation. Now we're going through Journey Through Genesis. Part 29 is where we are. We're in Genesis 37. I'm going to try to make some progress tonight and finish this up. I will speak, I will tell you this up front. Hopefully I get to this, but I will speak from Genesis 37. We'll read some verses, and I'm going to cover some stuff in 38, 39, 40, and 41. Maybe. We'll see. But... Um, Anyhow, we did miss all of you this weekend. Wow. Miss Life Point Prairieville. We were in Life Point Ruston, and that was pretty cool. Had a great time up there with some great people. And uh, anyhow, let me say a prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts tonight. I pray, God, that you would challenge us, and we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Journey Through Genesis, part 29. This is Journey uh, <laughs> Genesis. This is Genesis 37, part 2. So, a little introduction. We began the Joseph story in part 28, but tonight we're going to dig a little further into it. A theologian I read after, James Montgomery Boyce, said this, Joseph was loved and hated, favored and abused, tempted and trusted, exalted and abased. Yet at no point in the 110-year life of Joseph, did he ever seem to get his eyes off of God or cease to trust him? Adversity did not harden his character. Prosperity did not ruin him. He was the same in private as in public. He was a truly great man of God. I love that. Guzik says, Enoch shows the walk of faith. Noah shows the perseverance of faith. Abraham shows the obedience of faith. Isaac shows the power of faith. And Jacob shows the discipline of faith. Along these lines, we could say that Joseph shows the triumph of faith. Joseph never complained, and he never compromised, and he always triumphed. We read the first four verses last time, but let's read them again. Verses 1 through 4 of Genesis 37. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. 
This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his father saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. So notice, Joseph was 17 years old. And unlike his brothers, he was full of integrity. So much so that when his brothers misbehaved, Joseph felt obligated to inform their father it looks as if he was a tattletale. It looks as if he was a rat. But to his credit, he knew it was the family name that they were damaging. This name that God said to Abraham, I'll make your name great. And he knew that they were partners with God. And so he felt obligated to share the misdeeds of his brothers with their father. His dad made him a coat of many colors. The original is more like a long coat with a long uh, with long sleeves. The common working man's coat was a short coat had short sleeves leaving elbow room to work, but the boss wore a long coat with long sleeves. They didn't have to do the manual labor. And so Jacob saw Joseph as a boss, as a ruler. Jacob had a high expectation for Joseph, and Joseph's brothers hated him for it. They couldn't even look him in the eye. They couldn't even talk to him without growling at him. And, and he, then he started to have dreams. Let me say this. If you are a man or woman of integrity, and there's been faith and favor spoken over you, God is going to put dreams in your heart. Now, you may not have grown up like that. You may not have grown up with faith and favor being spoken over you. But you can't change your past. But you can change your future. You need to learn to speak the blessing of the Lord over yourself. David said, I will say to myself. There's times you say, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. you you got to talk to yourself. People think he's crazy. He's talking to himself. But sometimes you need to talk to yourself. You need to tell yourself, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. I am the righteousness of God in Christ because of this great exchange that he made for me. I am blessed coming in. And I am blessed going out. Everything I put my hand to prospers. No weapon that is formed against me will prosper. Every tongue that rises to condemn me will be condemned. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of me, saith God. That is me. That promise has my name on it. My Father loves me with an everlasting love. You need to learn to speak some faith and some favor over you. Get out of the mully grubs and get out of the woe is me and get out of the I can't and the butterflies and, 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 and the what ifs and, and all that kind of stuff. 
get into the Word of God and say what the Word says over you. That'll change your life. You know, we could close right here, right now, but we're not. Don't get your hopes up. And you could take that Word to the bank, and it would change you for the rest of your life. Some of you are so beat down. You're so used to saying, I'll never, I can't, I don't see how other people, I, and it never happens. And, and we just say those things over and over and over and over again. When it, that is as contrary to the word of God as you going out and committing adultery and smoking dope. You ain't hearing what I'm saying. Maybe I should park here for a minute. Like, oh, they did, I heard so-and-so committed this sin, you know. I heard so-and-so committed this sin. Oh, it's the worst. And here we are looking at ourselves in a different way than God looks at us, living far below the privileges that we have in Him, never possessing the promises that He's made to us. Brothers and sisters, if the church would ever wake up and realize who they are, we would change this world from center to circumference. You hear what I'm saying? Your family would never be the same. Husband, father, if you would come to grips with who God has made you in Christ and be that priest of the home and stand up and speak blessing and favor over your wife and your kids. Ma'am, wife, mother, your family would never be the same. If you would find a place to pray and say, God, Put it deep in my heart. Let me figure out who I am in Christ Jesus. And then rise to walk in a new life. Do you hear what I'm saying? It would change everything about you. But listen, when you do that, when you begin to speak the blessing and the favor and the word of God over yourself, don't expect everyone to get excited about it. They'll say things like, who are you kidding? I've seen the way you act and behave. Who do you think you are? What you've been smoking. Look at verses 5 through 8. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And the brothers totally understood what this was saying. They understood the meaning of this dream from the get-go. They knew this was speaking of Joseph being the boss, Ruling, reigning over them. And as if things could not get worse, it says they hated him even more. Everybody say even more. A couple things here. Number one, notice the dream deals with grain, with sheaves, with food. They would bow the knee to him in the future. And it involved food. The dream's filled with prophetic implications. Second thing, people criticize Joseph for telling his dreams to his brothers. I read after one guy today 
And he said, Joseph is such an illustration, such a type of Christ, except he was arrogant, he was proud, prideful, sharing his dreams with his brothers. But i got to ask this question. Had he not told his brothers, would his dreams have ever come true? In other words, Joseph was so compelled to give voice to his dreams, to confess his dreams, to say what God was saying about his future, and even to share his dreams with others. He even shared them with people who he knew hated him, who would take a hostile stance, a combative position against him regarding his dreams. But he was compelled. i got to share this. God's put it in my heart. I've got to get it out here so the world can hear it. Where did Joseph get that kind of behavior? How about it, Jacob, who insisted on saying, my name is not Jacob anymore. My name is Israel. I've had an encounter with God that changed me, and I am no longer Jacob. I am Israel. I'm not who you think I am. I am who God says I am. What about Abram, who insisted, I am not Abram. My name is Abraham. I am not what you think I am. I am what God has made me to be. I am who I am, says I am. Anybody remember that? Joseph didn't let the resistance to his dreams stop him from sharing them. As a matter of fact, I believe it was perfectly ordained. It was the will of God that Joseph tell his brothers about his dreams. I don't think it was pride or arrogance. I think it was the will of God. God would take the resistance, his brother's hostility. Joseph would later call their hostility evil. God would take all of that evil, that pain, that sin, that hatred, that deception, and God would use it to bring Joseph's dreams to pass. And had Joseph not told the dreams to his brothers, then when they were fulfilled and the brothers were bowing the knee before their younger brother Joseph, trying to get some food in Joseph as we, uh, in Egypt, as we'll see, they would not have been able to fully comprehend just what, what was going on at the moment. Here's my point. Sometimes not only do you look like a fool when you share what God's put in your heart, but sometimes you looking like a fool is part of the plan. Isn't this exciting? Are you with me? Wayne, you with me? Come on, son. It's part of the plan. Your God dreams will offend the carnal. Your God dreams will cause the carnal to hate you. But the people who heard you declare your dreams will stand in awe of the power of God when you're standing in your dreams, especially if those people worked against you in your dreams and God took their evil and used it for good. Amen? It's incredible. It's powerful. We'll see this soon enough. Look with me to verses 9 to 11. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. 
And this time, the sun, the moon, the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers, notice this, envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. It's like Mary in the New Testament. He pondered these things in his heart. He just kind of put them in a file. Wait and see. But his brothers envied him. Now this dream is chocked full of prophetic implications too. As a matter of fact, Look with me to Revelation 12, verses 1 through 5. Now, when we get done with Genesis, we're going to Revelation. The book of Revelation is next. And wow, that's going to be a challenge. But let's go ahead and preview the book of Revelation tonight with Genesis 37 in mind. Look at verse 1. Now, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was called up to God and his throne. Let's stop there. A great sign appeared. This is the first of seven signs that John mentions in Revelation, and this is described as a great sign. In Revelation 12, 13, and 14, the main figures of what we'll see as the tribulation or the great tribulation are described. The seven are, these seven signs, number one, a woman, and I believe she represents Israel. A dragon, number two, representing Satan. A male child referring to Jesus. The angel Michael, the head of the angelic host. The offspring of the woman, representing Gentiles who come to faith. Number six, a beast out of the sea, representing the Antichrist. Number seven, a beast out of the earth representing the false prophet who promotes the Antichrist. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I, I, I want to look at this, this first sign, this woman. And she's just that. She's a sign, a great sign. This is a sign. In the book of Revelation, women are often used to represent religious systems. I don't know why. It just is that way. Revelation 2.20, Jezebel, seen as a religious system, one of false teaching. Revelation 17.2, the great Harlot is seen as a false religion. In Revelation 19, 7 and 8, the bride is seen as the church. So here we have this woman in Revelation 12 clothed with the sun. She has been associated with many different religious ideas. Roman Catholics claim that she is Mary, the queen of heaven. Roman Catholic art will often depict Mary as standing on a crescent moon with 12 stars around her head. Scripturally, though, I believe Revelation 12 is connected to Joseph's dream in Genesis 37. I believe she is Israel in Joseph's dream. The sun represented Jacob. The moon represented Rachel. The 11 stars were the sons of Israel which bowed down to Joseph. In Revelation 12, there are 12 stars. So the 12 tribes 
of Israel, which have been revealed at that point as they became known. They are depicted in Revelation 12. As far as Israel or Zion or Jerusalem is concerned, being represented by a woman, this is also found in other Old Testament passages. Don't have time to go there. Isaiah 54, Jeremiah 3, Ezekiel 16, Hosea 2. Revelation 12.5, though, says she bore a male child, and here's a key, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. That's obviously Jesus Christ. Verse 2 says, Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. The pain here, I believe, refers to the travail of Israel at the time of Jesus' birth under Roman occupation severely oppressed. Now Jesus is the third sign. The Son is the third sign. But the second sign is found in verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Again, this is a sign. This is not a literal great red fiery dragon. The dragon represents the nature and the character of this being, which would be the devil. Verse 4 says, His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven. A lot of people believe, and, and I lean this direction, that that's speaking of a third of the angelic host who joined in Lucifer's rebellion. Are you with me? We're in the book of Revelation. Wow. The dragon was attempting to devour Israel's son. This was initially fulfilled when Herod tried to kill Jesus as a child, Matthew 2. It was also fulfilled throughout Jesus' life as Satan attacked him time and time again, John 8, Mark 4. And it was ultimately fulfilled on the cross. And so as we've stated, the male child is Jesus. He's going to reign over all the earth. The woman of Revelation 12, 1 cannot be the church because Jesus gave birth to the church, not the other way around. So the woman is either Mary or Israel, the only two women who could have given birth to Jesus. The rest of Revelation 12 will demonstrate, I believe, that the woman is Israel and not Mary. Here's the bottom line. Here's why I went there. The bottom line is this. There was a dream about the near prophetic that Joseph had. The soon coming famine in Egypt all throughout the land. It was 15 years away or so. But then there was this future, far future prophetic dream that Joseph had. Speaking of the Christ. Speaking of Jesus. Perhaps, and you've been with me through this journey through Genesis, so this should ring a bell. Perhaps the devil thought Joseph was this prophesied seed of the woman. I mean, that had been narrowed down to a family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The prophetic word had already gone forth. Kings will come from you. The whole earth will be blessed through you. In other words, all the families of the earth being blessed sounds like the antithesis of all the families of the earth will be cursed because of you. It's a reversal of the curse. The devil took the jealousy of Cain and used it to kill Abel. Remember that? 
Remember when the first murder took place because of church problems? There ain't no problems like church problems. And the first murder took place because of church problems. Cain was jealous of Abel because the Lord had respect unto Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's. And so Cain got jealous. Paul, guys, man, love Paul Miller. Uh, Cain, Cain, sorry, I distracted myself. Cain uh, was jealous because the Lord respected Abel's sacrifice. We don't know what that looked like. We don't know if his smoke went one way or fire fell from heaven on Abel's sacrifice, but Cain was jealous. And so Cain decided to murder. Story's tremendous. Cain, the Lord confronted him, tried to talk him out of it. And then when it was all said and done, Abel's lying dead in the middle of a garden somewhere out in a field. And the Lord confronts him and says, where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know. He's like, his blood's calling to me from the ground. Cain killed Abel because he was jealous of the respect that God had for his sacrifice. And Jesus, looking at the Pharisees, said, you're of your father the devil, and his will you will accomplish. You will kill the seed of the woman. He, he says the devil was a murderer from the beginning. The first murder was inspired by the devil. Why was the devil trying to kill Abel and get Cain to do it? Because one of those boys, I'm convinced, and I, I hope I shared that well enough with all of you in Journey Through Genesis, one of those boys could have been the seed of the woman promised to Eve that would reverse the curse and crush the head of the serpent. And so the devil doesn't know the end game, the ultimate plan of Christ on the cross. He doesn't get that. They're all looking for an immediate turnaround. It's going to take 6,000 years, but they're looking for it immediately. And so the devil takes the jealousy of Cain and twists it and gets him to kill Abel. And in effect, he kills two birds with one stone. By knocking out Abel and Cain being the one to do it, both are disqualified. Both are out of the contention to be the seed of the woman that reverses the curse. Could it be that all these years later, the same devil is seeing a plan unfold? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And he takes the jealousy of the brothers and uses it to come against Joseph in this story. To knock out the seed of the woman or the Messiah. Could it be the ultimate plan of redemption? The devil was trying to stop it here in Genesis 37, 38, and through the story of Joseph. Let me preach a little bit about Joseph now. Joseph's brothers were raised, as we've looked at, by a dirty, rotten scoundrel, a liar, a backstabber, a betrayer, a guy with no moral compass, and he passed that lack of a moral compass on to his boys. But Joseph, he got a moral compass. His father was different. His dad spoke blessing over him. His name was Israel. Jacob treated Joseph differently. His expectations were different. And those other boys were jealous. They were, they were jealous. This evil, they conspired against him. They sought to kill him. And they threw him into a pit, as we'll see. We'll take our time. But they threw him into a pit. 
It was Reuben's idea to put him there. He intended to go back and rescue him, actually, later, return him to his father. They were going to kill him. They threw him into a pit. Reuben had this idea. Not sure what his motives were, but, but they're struggling with this jealousy. Judah suggested they sell him and make a buck off of their brother. This was fascinating. He was sold to these people who would go into Egypt and traffic in people. And he's sold into Potiphar's house on the auction block. He's betrayed, as we'll see, lied on by Mrs. Potiphar. She was wretched. He was put in prison because Mrs. Potiphar lied on him. He interpreted dreams for the butler and for the baker. He was overlooked. The dreams came to pass, just like he said. He said, don't forget me. Sure enough, the butler forgot him for two years. Pharaoh began to dream finally, and the butler, you know the story, remember Joseph, and Joseph ended up interpreting Pharaoh's dreams. Finally, after years and years, Joseph was elevated to this palace station where he ultimately saved his family and the rest of the world. God took his brother's jealousy, their conspiracy, their homicidal tendencies, And put together a plan and a purpose. He took Reuben's suggestion. Why don't we leave him in the pit? Judah's greedy idea. Why don't we sell him and make a buck? And and put all of that into his plans and purposes. Because he was working a greater purpose that nobody could figure out. I'm going to tell you something. My God knows how to work all things together for the good of those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. God knows how to take the junk that's been dealt in your life and do something that nobody expects. What the devil meant for harm when it looks like evil, disaster, tragedy, I'm telling you, God is working behind the scenes. He says, I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. He knows how to give you a future and a hope that nobody could have seen coming. If you just look at the raw material, it looks like absolute disaster. But when God gets done with it, He takes that same ugliness and puts together something that is incredibly beautiful. And I've got to point this out because this is fascinating. And I'm just, we're ahead of ourselves. We'll go back, we'll hit some highlights. When, when Rachel was barren, back, back to Joseph's great-grandfather, Abram, Sarah suggested to Abram that he marry Hagar. And they did that. They got married. This was not Abram at his best. This was Abram's biggest Failure. 14 years into it, Sarah lays down the law. Abraham has to kick out Hagar and Ishmael, who was the son. It wasn't their fault, Hagar and Ishmael. But through that entire messed up, crazy story, mistakes, the failures, the missteps, God takes it all 
and, and does something incredible. The slave traders that bought Joseph go back to Ishmael. They were Midianites or Ishmaelites, another verse calls them. And so when Joseph is dealing with a famine in Egypt, and you go back further, he was dealing with a butler in prison. You go back to where he was in prison because a woman named Mrs. Potiphar lied on him. And you go back to where Potiphar bought Joseph on an auction block from some Ishmaelites. Those Ishmaelites were a result of one of his great-grandfather's greatest mistakes. So it doesn't matter in your family who made the mistake, who had the failure, how deep the stuff goes. God can work all things together. God can turn it around. God can take generational curses, break them, and turn them into generational blessings. And how can you resist? How can you fight against a God like that? You can't lose. No wonder the Bible says if God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, you may come from a family of horse thieves. You may come from a family that's suffered with all kinds of addictions and sicknesses and all kind of hang-ups, been in prison, in and out of prison constantly, on welfare, can't seem to ever get ahead, just always suffering, always on the bottom of the barrel, never able to get beyond uh, all that stuff. And you think... I'll never rise above this. I'm going to tell you something. The Lord has sent me to speak to somebody's heart tonight. You can rise above whatever situation you come out of because if God is on our side, anything is possible. And Joseph was not in this by himself. God was on his side. And so God took the jealousy and the conspiracy and the pain and the hurt and the years and he just worked it all out and he said, not only am I going to do something great in you, but you're going to turn around and be a blessing to those who have cursed you. You're going to end up saving them. Joseph, that devil, mean old devil, he's a mean devil, he has no conscience, but I'm going to tell you something else. God's got him out thought by infinity. Not only did the devil fail to wipe out Joseph, Joseph ended up saving, saving his brothers, saving his family and his legacy and the name that he had fought for through the years. You cannot lose, you cannot be defeated, you cannot be overcome. If you stand in faith, walk in expectancy, believe God to do some great things in your life. He will do it. He will, he'll take your mess and turn it into a message. He'll take the test you've walked through and turn it into a testimony of His grace. He'll turn your stumbling blocks into stepping stones. We serve a God who is unstoppable, a God who knows how to take what the devil means for evil and turn it into something good. Now, who can do that other than our great God? That's why I love Him. 
That's why I sing his praises. That's why I love to dance before the Lord and sing praises and shout unto God and clap my hands before him. It's not for you. It's not for anybody in this place. It's for him. He is worthy of my praise. He has taken so much junk in my life and turned it around for good and blessed me with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Amen. Just an incredible story. I, I knew I'd get a little ahead of myself, but I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. I want to challenge you tonight. Walk in faith. Know God is working something incredible out of your situation, your mistakes, your missteps, whatever the enemy has done. When Jesus was on the cross, I would say that looked like a failure. But in Romans 1, the Bible says Paul, uh, writing in Romans 1, said that what appeared to be this disaster actually was the power of God unto salvation. I'm going to encourage you. Whatever mistakes you've made, no matter how bad others may have treated you, God has a plan. And let him work his plan. Walk in faith. I love the fact that Joseph never gave up. Joseph, talk about integrity. It wasn't just that he, you know, didn't mess around with Mrs. Potiphar, or that, that, you know, he was honest with his father. It wasn't just that stuff. It was the integrity. Like, he stayed intact. He stayed together. For years, he just walked in faith. He just walked in faith. The Bible says that he had this, this excellence about him. Everywhere he went, he just rose to the top. In the worst of circumstances, he made the best of it. And God prospered him. And God favored him. Just like his father had done. He believed that. He believed, I am made for more than this. Some of us have got to get in that mindset. I'm made for more than this, y'all. What you see, I'm bigger on the inside than what you see on the outside. There's more going on in here than what you think. Because God's working a plan in my life. God's working great things in my life. It may not look like it. It may not feel like it. You may not think it, but it doesn't matter because God's put some dreams in my heart and I'm going to pursue those dreams and I'm going to believe God for those things and I'm going to stay together. I'm going to keep those dreams together. I love that. Jacob pondered those things in his heart. Mary pondered things in her heart. Joseph had those dreams in his heart. He was sharing them. I'm made for more than this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rise up one day. One day I'm going to rise up and God's going to do great things through me. And for years and years he walked that path and he talked that way and he thought that way. And eventually he was standing in his dreams. Don't you know, and we'll get into it, this story is just phenomenal. When those brothers walked in during that famine to Egypt, thinking their brother was dead and gone. And they came before him, and Joseph, who now looks like an Egyptian, walks like an Egyptian, talks like an Egyptian. I know that's a song. Okay. But when Joseph is all Egyptianized, they don't recognize him. It's been many years from the time they threw him in that pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites. But all those years later, when he comes out, they don't recognize him, and he speaks Egyptian, which, as we all know, is hieroglyphics. I, I don't know what they, you know, I guess they spoke Egyptian. But he speaks Egyptian, and so he has an interpreter. And so those brothers come up, and they're saying, we want food. Now, he sees them in the crowd, and he tells his, hand, his, his people, he said, get, the, get those boys and, and bring them over here to, to, to my place, to this chamber over here. Brings them in, and he talks to them through an interpreter. Who are you? What are you doing? 
where you've come from. He knows who they are. They don't know who he is. It was like through the interpreter. Who are you? Where do you come from? Who's your father? You have a brother? What? Joseph didn't know Benjamin. He's like, you have a younger brother? I'd like to meet that guy. And he starts wheeling and dealing, kind of toying with them, figuring out where they are. But when it's all said and done, and he sends out the Egyptians, and he talks to them in Hebrew, and he says, you don't know who I am, but I am Joseph. And the position those brothers were in, it was this. They were saying, would you please give us food? And here he is standing with authority, with the coat of many colors, just like the dream had said. And he's saying, I'm Joseph, your brother. And they said, oh, my God, we're so sorry. And it says he embraced him and he wept, crying. They're crying. He said, it's okay. What you meant for evil, God meant for good, that I could save my father's household. And so they were brought into the land of Egypt, given the best land, the land of Goshen. And we always think of Israel in Egypt as a horrible time. It wasn't at first. They were highly favored, given the best, most fertile land. They went from 70 to millions in Goshen, in Egypt. And the reason why was because one man said, I'm going to walk in integrity. I'm going to be faithful. I'm telling you, if you're faithful over the few things, God will make you ruler over many things. If you'll hang on to those dreams and promises and not let them go, not let the cares of this life come in and the lust for other things and, and temptation and pressures that tries to steal it, jealousy and the works of the flesh, all that junk that tries to distract you, if you'll keep focused on the dream that God put in your heart, you'll, if you'll stay faithful, God will see to it that that dream comes to pass. Because my God is not a man that he should lie. And so he'll see, he'll watch over his word to perform it, to make sure you're in the right place at the right time. You just keep it together, brother. You just keep it together, sister. And God will raise you up and do Everything he promised you he would do. Amen. Why don't you stand with me right now? The Joseph story is just absolutely stunning. It's just phenomenal. And what an encouragement. Because, you know, guys, brothers and sisters, in our Genesis study, right after the flood, the Lord said, as long as the earth remains, seed time, and harvest. I'm just going to tell you right now. Seed, I get it. Sow some seed. Harvest, I get that. It's time to go pick the corn. You know, it's time to go get the beans. It's time to go get the harvest. You know what I struggle with? What we all struggle with. Time. Between seed and harvest is time. That's why the race is not to the swift, it's to he that endures to the end. You gotta endure, man. You gotta endure hardships and struggles. And they, Joseph just kept his integrity, kept walking. I am who God says I am. God's will is gonna come to pass in my life. 
brothers don't understand. God made my father some promises, made my grandfather before him some promises, made my great-grandfather some promises, and that word's going to come to pass. My God is not a man that he shall lie. My God has promised that there's going to be this day where this sheaf rises up. There's going to be a day when these stars bow down. There's a day coming. I'm not letting go of that. I'm walking in that. I'm looking for that. I'm, I'm done, but could it be that when Mrs. Potiphar's putting the squeeze on him there, he's saying, no, my dreams are too valuable. Could it be that when, when he could have given up in the prison and the butler forgot about him for two years, he was saying, my dreams are too valuable. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to cash in my chips. Not yet. Not, not yet. Not ever. Until I see the dream come to pass. And he was in fair. He, in 24 hours, in a matter of minutes, honestly, he went from being in prison to being the second most powerful man in the world. Just like that. God can turn it around so quick. How many of you want God to turn it around? I know we've said seed, time, and harvest, but once you get to a certain point, it can be a real short time. You get to the end of that, boom, it can go from nothing to everything all of a sudden. Suddenly a sound came from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Can you lift your hands to him right now? Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your word. God, you've been so faithful, so good. God, I, I pray that this congregation, <clears throat> that these brothers and sisters would persevere, God. These brothers and sisters would stay in the fight. These brothers and sisters would walk. Maybe they would crawl. They would keep moving forward, God. They would stay in the game. They would not lose their integrity. They would keep those dreams alive on the inside of them, God. No matter what troubles have come through the eight, through the years, through the time, Lord, the harvest is coming. The harvest is coming in Jesus' name.